If you have sleep apnea and struggle with CPAP, consider that CPAPs were invented in 1980. Do you even remember 1980? Everyone's house had one telephone. There were like four TV channels. Now for people who struggle with CPAP, there's Inspire. Inspire treats sleep apnea inside your body at the click of a remote. No mask, no hose, just sleep. To learn more, visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. So we could let Bill WD40 into the chat room. And Ray Finn, good to see you. Javier and Ann Palmer, nice to have you back. And uh, let's see here. Hmm. Ozzy Ange, good to see you. Nina Williams, thanks for coming on in. Simon, thank you for that awesome super chat, man. Very much appreciate the love from Australia. And who else we got? Big J. How you doing, buddy? And uh, let's see. Kevin, Shadow Time Writer. Uh, we're caught up. We're caught up. Super Chat is open. Don't forget to join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. And here we go, everybody. Horns up. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on Patreon at Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find us on our website. All right, we're going to have a great night tonight. We're getting into aliens and remote viewing. Dr. Angela T. Smith will be here momentarily. Then in our number three, we are going to go to Terry Hall. Yes, Terrence Hall for the UFO report all night long. All right. Let us hammer time into this one. Dr. Angela Thompson-Smith was trained in controlled remote viewing in the mid-1990s by two ex-Stargate instructors, Dr. Paul H. Smith, who will be a guest here next week, and Lynn Buchanan, who you've heard on this show before. Since then, she has participated in many successful remote viewing application projects. Dr. Smith is also the director of the Nevada Remote Viewing Group that has included remote viewers from around the world. Angela was a founding member and director of the International Remote Viewing Association. She is a published author with books on Amazon, including Voices from the Cosmos. And guess what, people? Even more special about Dr. Smith, she likes the aliens. She's one of us. Let's bring her in, Dr. Angela Smith. Thank you so much for coming on Spaced Out Radio tonight. How are you? 
I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show, Dave. Oh, we very much appreciate you taking the time from definitely a, a home away from home in Southern Nevada. So I appreciate you coming on in and, and sharing your time with us. Have you always been into remote viewing and aliens, or was this something you kind of professionally fell into? My family always had an interest, and my parents had seen weird stuff in the skies. I grew up in uh, Bristol, England, and uh, on the outskirts of the city, so it was a fair bit of countryside around. And uh, so my, my parents had, when they were younger and when we were younger, often said, oh, I just saw something in the sky. It looked like a light bulb upside down, glowing, going through the sky. And it was just taken for granted, you know, that there was stuff out there. Um, I can't say as a child that I ever saw anything, but I, um, what I did was I had out-of-body experiences since I was a young child and thought that everybody did it uh, um, until I was in my late 20s, 30s, and then uh, went to some evening classes and learned that this was something that not everybody did, as a matter of fact, you know, go off joyriding um, before they went to sleep. <laughs> um, but um, And then there's a whole uh, follow-up from that. You know, I went and did... Uh, some research and and followed up on finding out who else had this. A um, lot of people, a lot of famous people have had out-of-body experiences. Um, I was very fortunate that I had many of them and I was able to bring them under some control. But it wasn't until my 20s that um, I began having some experiences that are really classified now as abduction-type experiences. And I had no category to put them into. So I didn't know. I just shoved them back into my mind and said, that was weird. <laughs> um, and it uh, wasn't until about 2000 that I really began seriously researching. How did you learn about these subjects? Was it something that as you grew professionally, the people you were you were associated with had keen interest in this or or was it something that just you had heard of and thought hey maybe my own curiosity needs to find out about this bit of both um as i said my parents were always into the the um, ufo stuff yes um yeah and um and then, and then i was in the doing the obe stuff um but um in england it's a lot more open to these topics and everyday folk are okay to talk about it. Here in the States, if you talk about any of these topics to regular folk, they look at you a little bit strange. Um, but when I was growing up, it was okay to talk about, uh, you know, intuition. Except when I told my mother that some of the experiences I had, she'd say, oh, you have a good imagination. You're a great reader. You read a lot. So it was sort of, you know, sort of swept away a little bit because I don't think my mother wanted to have a strange child. No, no, neither did my mother, and I was that kid. I, I was <laughs> that kid. What did yeah. if you hadn't learned this? How would your life have gone? Would you just be a, a doctor in in some career? Maybe you know, just practicing what you practice because. 
that's the way you were supposed to do it? Or, or would you be feeling like you're missing something? Well, I think the way I started off, I would probably have ended up in a dead end job, just being, and then just getting married, having children, living next door to my mother, um, because I left school at 16, which was the school leaving age in England at the time, and went into uh, an office as an office junior. And it wasn't until I was um, 18 that I decided I wanted to go into nursing because I had an aunt that was in the nursing profession. And um, so from there, I think I always wanted to go the next step. So I went from nursing to social work to working in medical research with moms and babies to parapsychology. So it was a big leap from the academic world uh, to the parapsychology world. And I went down to work at the, uh, first of all to volunteer and then work at the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab at Princeton University. So started off my life pretty mundane, uh, working class family was expected to leave school, go and work. Um, college was out of the question uh, at that time. It wasn't until I was older when I made my own decisions that I decided to go to college, get educated. Wonderful. And what have you learned about yourself going through this process? That I can be exceedingly stubborn. <laughs> um, and when I choose to do something, I usually plow my way through it and uh, and get through to the end. It's um, despite other people's skepticism, for example, um, when I was working in medical research with the moms and babies, then I had the opportunity to go down and work at the pair lab at Princeton, the parapsychology lab. And I told the professor of my plans, and he went ballistic. And he said, that parapsychology group, you're never going to work in academia again, even though I was going to work at Princeton University. You know? um, and... Um, you, you've just ruined your career. You're not going to be able to do anything in the regular academic world again. But it was a bit of a jolt. But I said, no, I'm going to go do this. So that was an example. You know, despite other people's skepticism, I just go ahead and do what I can. When did the ETs start coming? I think this started pretty early on in my life because um, when I was at Princeton, I started um, wondering about these experiences because I'd, I met up with people who had similar experiences and I decided to go and, and I chose the therapist myself rather than somebody being chosen for me because I didn't want to be influenced unduly. Um, and then started writing up some of my memories and I think from really very, very early on, um, maybe even, you know, just starting to walk and talk, that there might have been some interaction. Hmm. Did you ever consider yourself a contactee or an abductee? I don't like those titles. <laughs> and I don't know what else to put in their place. Because um, I don't think of myself as a victim as being taken, 
Um, I have always had the feeling that somewhere down the line, I might have given permission, but I don't know. Um, contactee is um, also, a, a, it's all labels to label experiences. Um, so I like to think of myself as a, an interactor mostly, um, uh, because I remember as one of the experiences that I, I had some hypnosis with the therapist and um, found myself with my parents on top of a hill in this remembered experience. And um, I couldn't have been very old because I was being held and I kept saying to my parents, put me down, put me down. I want to go play with the little people. And I think it, I was even, even that very young age. My parents were sort of switched off, um, but they were still hanging on to me. So that was one of the very earliest um, experiences remembered through hypnosis. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, the remote viewing aspect of everything, did you believe in remote viewing before you started taking the courses? Did you know what it was? I didn't know what it was. I'd heard about um, intuition, telepathy, and um, clairvoyance, um, you know, all the labels again. Again, it, I'm into labels lately. <laughs> it's all labels for experiences. And I didn't even know that what I did as a child and young woman was called out-of-body experiences until I started to read about it um, and, uh, and understood what it was that I was doing. Um, so remote viewing, uh, when I went to uh, PEAR, they were studying a protocol called precognitive remote perception, which was there, was, um, there were two people, sometimes a group, um, one person would go out at a certain date and time to a location and then the other person would try and, re and remote view, remote perceive where they were, what they were doing, etc. in a very strict type protocol, scientific protocol. The fact though it's called precognitive was even before the outbounder, the person going out to a location, knew where they were going, um, the recipient or the remote viewer, remote receiver, um, did their session even before, like it could be a week before, a month before, they actually went to a location, the, the outbounder to a location. So um, time and space, the, the pair lab people found that time and space had no effect. It didn't matter when the the viewing was done or when the viewer, the other person went to the location. Um, it's still, there was still data found. They still got data. Wow. When you so say, I knew about, yeah. when you Sorry. say data, what kind of data were you looking for? What the lab was looking for was um, they had a, a, a sheet, a questionnaire. And the person who went out, the outbounder who went out to a location, had to say, you know, were there people there? Were there dogs were there? Were the traffic there? And then um, after going through all of these, what they called descriptors, they would then write a short piece about where they were, um, do some sketches and even take some pictures. The, and then when the person who was doing the, the perceiving also filled in the same sheet and they were sent to a third party who compared them by computer. 
to see what matches they were. So they were looking for matches to see how well the remote perceiver picked up the outbound information. Hmm. What's the difference, in your opinion, then, between remote viewing and astral travel? Um, that's what I gave my talk on at the last Irva conference. <laughs> so it's a continuum. In the very first part of the continuum, you have what's called astral travel or out-of-body experience, where in the very simple form, the person just drifts up out of their body and can see themselves down below. And they go, wow, this is the ceiling. Um, along a continuum where they're able to travel from that location and go visit other locations, um, all the way to the very, very formal remote viewing, um, which was coined in seven, around the early 70s, um, the, where they would um, be able to go to a location and in a very tight um, written protocol describe uh, where the per where the outbounder was, where the um, the event had taken place or the person was or the murder had taken place. It's got so many applications. So that's at the far end of the continuum. Because I don't think it's an either or thing. Mm. See, I, I know I've astral traveled before. Okay. And for me, it's it's an experience that that I don't know how to do it. I just know I can. Yeah. And to me, it's all about concentration and kind of relaxing my consciousness and just letting things happen. And I don't know how I could do it. I just, like I said, it just happens. It doesn't happen like I'm mm -hmm. out of control of it. But if I were to concentrate on it, I can make it happen. I mean, how do some people out there know how to do it and have no explanation why or how? Um, I think it has to do with context. Because if you're just going and, and flying around and with no directions, nobody's saying to you, oh, somebody got murdered at this particular location. We need to find out who the murderer is. Um, not all remote viewing is done as, with, as open as that, but that is a possibility. Um, then you would use your, the OBE to go to that location and try and find information about the murderer or the murder scene. Uh, we did that with the Denver DJ murder case that I worked on. Um, but it's... You know, so it's a matter of degree. It's, and people can, who have um, some ability, um, you don't have to have be a super psychic to do remote viewing. There are protocols, there are trainings to show you how to do it. Take it step by step and um, look for this information, then look for this type of information until you get the whole picture. Right. Right. I want to focus on aliens here for a little bit because you've written recently about aliens and and the different species that are out there. And we have a good guest on here, uh, R. Keith Andrews, who has written an alien species book as well. And Craig Campobasso sure. has as well. Another good friend of this show. And 
do you believe that all of these different species are visiting Earth? No, no, not all of them. Um, there are a good proportion of them. There are even some that are here resident. Um, and I'll maybe talk a little bit about that later. Um, I, it was 2014 um, or 2013 when we actually started doing this project. I had a business client and uh, doing remote viewing for him. And uh, he called me up one day and said, can you talk to the aliens? And I said, well, maybe. <laughs> so we put together a protocol, which was um, a very simple protocol. It involved some questions, the kind of questions you'd ask if you went out into the Amazon and found some people that knew about us but didn't really know too much about us. Um, and we could ask them questions about their life. So these were in my computer, and the client um, decided, because this isn't something I do every day. This was fairly new to me. So he said, okay, let's go and look at the uh, tall gray first. So sat at my computer with the questions that the client and I had come up with, and felt very foolish sitting there going, what am I doing? This is not... This is very strange. Um, even despite all the experiences I've had, it still felt odd. But as soon as I started asking the questions, and I am not a channeler or a medium, I'm just a bit like you. I'm a reporter. <laughs> I'm a scientific reporter. And as the information was coming in, I was typing it into the computer, asking clarifying questions, etc., and just marveling at what was coming in. Um, got pages and pages of this stuff, typed it up for the client. He said, great, do the next one. You know, and now, you know, we've looked at the, the tall gray. Let's look at the little grays. Let's look at the reptilians. Let's look at the, um, the what they call the whites, or let's call it the um, uh, Nordics. Um, and what convinced me. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawke as 26-year-old lead attorney Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee William H. Macy as Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast Supreme, the battle for Roe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawke as 26-year-old lead attorney Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee William H. Macy as Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast Supreme, the battle for Roe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts me that we did about 20 of these over the year um what convinced me that they were not just me making them up because i tried to stay very objective and non-judgmental was that each of these species had a different personality different way of handling the question um different approaches different ideologies um and it was just amazing to me um so, as I say, we did this for a year until the client came over under some surveillance and uh, got spooked. 
and he said, let's get back to, to remote, to uh, business uh, remote viewing. But that from those interviews then, because we'd always planned to do something with the information, um, eventually I had a colleague who also had some information that he wanted to put into a book. He said, well, let me, let's write up the book, put the ET interviews in the middle of the book, and then let's get it published. So this was in 2014. It took us 10 months to, to put this together. And it was C.B. Scott Jones and I, um, two PhDs, um, writing a book about aliens. <laughs> um, and it was very popular. It, it's still selling. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. I know that, you know, there's a lot of people who are seeing a lot of different things out there right now. And, and they're seeing beings that have never been seen before or reported yeah. before. And at sometimes I, I wonder, is it imagination or is it something completely different that they actually are seeing some sort of different species? It, it, it's the same thing in the cryptid world where, you know, it's not just Bigfoot and Dogman people are seeing. All of a sudden they're seeing, you know, all of these different type of weird type creatures and I don't know where they're coming from. If there's a portal that's opened up to all these strange uh, sci-fi creatures, but it's out there. And Dr. Angela T. Smith, we're going to talk more about aliens when we return on Spaced Out Radio. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Aliens, remote viewing. I tell you, this is the perfect night for it. My name is Dave Scott, your host, wearing the most tinfoil that anybody that you know. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio when we return. All right, Doc, we are clear. Good. Having fun yet? Yeah, yeah. Good. There's a lot more. <laughs> oh, yeah. More fun to come. Let's yeah. See. yeah. Have I missed anybody in our chat room yet? Cat mm -hmm. the Kit, how are you? And who else has showed up here that I haven't seen? Right. That's it. That's it. And now we just wait. And we stare at each other. And we're like, hello. Is it still hot down there? Oh, in, in Las Vegas? Yes. Yeah, it's cooling off. Um, we had uh, hundreds, you know, high hundreds. But it's uh, 
it's cooling off a bit for uh, not by Canadian standards, of course. Well, uh, <laughs> let me see. What's my weather like here? Hmm. It got to a high today of 22 Celsius, and I was sweating like a pig. Um, what is that Fahrenheit? Fahrenheit, that's about 71. We've got that in the mornings, then it goes up to about high 80s now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's like summertime. For us. So let's see here. <laughs> Uh, tomorrow, a high of 14 Celsius, a low of three. So that's about 38, 36, 36, somewhere around there. Ooh, Wednesday, low of minus one or a plus one. Ooh. Yes. Ah, it's getting cold. Yep. Yeah, that might be it for double digits here by next Thursday. That might be it for the year. Till we hit negative my uh, double digits. Then there's six months of that crap. Yeah, last year it we topped out at minus forty Celsius. Wow. Which was wow. which would be minus forty Fahrenheit. Oh wow! I've become a desert rat. Yeah, I don't do cold anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, sixty-three Fahrenheit. That's a perfect temperature. That's still shorts weather. Yes, Dogface Simon, I swear, too, that I said the snow was just starting to melt. And here we go again. Here we go again. Wolverine, how you doing? If we're lucky, we will not get snow in October. Because when that snow in October comes, it doesn't leave until April. And I am way too early for snow boots. Uh, Connie Willis has not passed away, by the way. She's actually hoping uh, or hosting Coast to Coast tonight. Unless it's her ghost. And I don't think Connie Willis is 78 or 77 years old. Unless she's had some major nip and tucks. All right, big thank you tonight to Deb Times 2, Simon and Louie for the great Super Chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do. Donald Dean, how you doing? And if you haven't already, for just 5 bucks a month, you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. The link is below in the chat room or below in the description on the YouTube page. Lisa Ogier, welcome to SOR Chat. Here we go, second half hour. Hi, Super Duke. Hi, Bobo.
Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott, the host of this show. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, you can check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go. We got the second half hour with Dr. Angela Smith. We are talking aliens right now, an alien species. And Dr. Smith, thank you so much for being here tonight. We very much appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. Right before the break, we were talking about different alien species that have visited this planet. And you think that the majority have not, which I would say is pretty easy to say, considering the universe is infinite. We don't know how much life is out there. But what do you think or who do you think is making their way here? I, I think the Nordics definitely. Um, uh, I was telling you a little bit before the show, um, we have a historic theatre. Uh, well, there's a historic theatre and a theatre, a, a, a restaurant hotel. And um, I used to go there with a friend after we'd been swimming in the morning. And I would say a half dozen times we encountered very strange people you know have you ever been in a restaurant and looked across at a table and gone whoa that's a weird person over there well we had weird people come into the restaurant when we were having breakfast order like a saint at raising canes with tailgates of hand-battered chicken fingers and cane sauce and jugs of freshly made tea and lemonade you can guarantee victory for every game day meal raising canes chicken fingers one love <laughs> official chicken finger of the saints this episode is brought to you by undeniably dairy picture a dairy farmer did you picture a meteorologist studying the atmosphere how about an engineer running a biogas system that turns manure into renewable energy or a scientist researching nutrients to try to help reduce methane emissions from cows. A farmer is more than a farmer. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. Um, we would always go into the little garden room, which was a back room with about four, ta- four or five tables, and um, just have breakfast chats, lady friends chatting, you know. And I'll tell you the most interesting one was um, this couple came in and uh, there was a table to the side of ours in the corner. And I looked at this couple and I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, it doesn't scare me because we, they're just visitors. They're visitors here. Um, the woman was maybe under five foot. Um sort of a little on the squat side, a little, um, I don't want to be judgmental, but I'm trying to be descriptive. Um, And her face had a very reptilian, um, frog-like look to it. But she was very pleasant and she spoke to us and said, um, okay, if we sit here. And I said, sure, help yourself. Um, And um, 
So they, she and her companion, who I'll describe in a moment, who was the most weird person, um, sat together with their backs against the wall instead of sort of as a lot of people do, sit opposite each other so they can chat. He, I think it was a he, didn't say anything. She was the one who interacted with us. And that seems to be the pattern. They're usually in pairs. One seems to be uh, knowledgeable and um, interacts with people, whereas the other one doesn't. It looks like the other one is newer, perhaps just arrived, who knows. Um, this guy was very diminutive. Um, he had a hat, a muffler, dark glasses, a coat, gloves, and as far as I could see, you know, like long trousers and shoes, but I couldn't really see too much because he kind of went behind into the table. Um, his face was pinched, very, very tiny little pointy face. Um, and he didn't speak at all. Um, and he sat down next to the woman. And as she asked us questions, before she asked us the questions like, do you come here often? What's the food like? What did you order? Um, she would look at him and then look at us and ask us the question. So we were, you know, just eating our breakfast and um, I was sat looking at them. My friend was opposite me, gets the wind up. And when we'd finished, um, when we left, my friend looked at me and said, what the hell was that? <laughs> Because she hadn't, she wasn't really, she was sort of acknowledging of these things, but hadn't really experienced too much. So it really blew her away. Um, so that was, that was the most dramatic one. Because I think that was a small gray that was with the woman. And she was perhaps a hybrid, maybe a human reptilian hybrid. Um, but I don't know for sure. I'm just giving, putting labels again. Um, do you want to hear another one? I would love to. I, I'm, I'm mesmerized here. Tell me. Okay. Um, another a student, one of the students of mine, um, I used to teach at home. I couldn't because of COVID. Now I've gone to virtual teaching remote viewing. Um, but um, I, one of my students contacted me and said, hey, I can't check into my hotel until later. But um, I, my plane arrives and I'm coming over to Boulder City. Um, so I said, well, why don't we hang out? Why don't we go have lunch at the hotel? And then you can come back to my place and hang out until you're ready to go check into your hotel. So he and I went and had lunch at the hotel, but out in the main restaurant area. And um, we were talking about remote viewing and just, you know, uh, having something, something to eat. And then all of a sudden, there was this gentleman behind me asking, he said, could I have some of your sugar packets? And I said, of course, help yourself. And I looked up, and there was this very tall, Nordic-looking gentleman, blonde, cropped hair, you know, the Nordic style, and um, smiled and then he went back to his table. My friend was looking with big eyes. And I said, what? He said, you know, that was weird, he said. 
I said, he just wanted some sugar packets. And he said, no. He said, he came over, put his hand on your shoulder. You looked at him and he looked, he stared into your eyes for a while and then asked for the sugar packets. I have no memory of him looking in my eyes at all. Um, so maybe he was just saying, you know, looking to see if I was a safe person or not. Um, and then afterwards, like, when we get up to go, I want to see if he's got sugar packets on his table, which he did. Um, and he was with a, a young woman who also looked very Nordic. And they were there, you know, with their hands over their faces talking to each other. So I said, oh, a couple more visitors. Nevada has <laughs> a lot of rumors over the years, the decades of aliens visiting the city, that they would park yeah. their UFOs at Area 51 and then be bussed in to Nevada so they could they could go to the, I believe it was the Sahara where they used to frequent. I think so, and the Stardust, I think, as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, have you read, um, is it Richard Hall's books? A um, millennial hospitality. Have I, you read those? Books I have about? not. Oh, you've got to read them. The second book is the most interesting. I think there's five books in the series. Um, he worked as an airman out at what's now Creech Air Force Base, and it was Indian Springs Air Force Base when he was out there at the end of World War Two, and. Um, they put him out there as an observer and somebody who led off these weather balloons yes. um, to look at air speeds, etc. And he started seeing these really weird animals. He thought they were out in the desert, Ki white coyotes that stood upright, um, white creatures that just ran across the desert. And he had no idea because they were running upright and they were not human. Um, so he classified them as animals or he needed to go eat something or the heat was getting to him or he wasn't feeling well. He made all sorts of excuses for seeing these, um, uh, what he thought were apparitions um, until they, one day he looked out and there were a group of them stood down by the fence. Um, and these were uh, Nordic, the, the, what were called the whites. Um, and the woman spoke to him and said, can our children watch you send off a balloon? So he thought, wow, my hallucinations are talking now. <laughs> um, so he went over and did the preparations of inflating the balloon and putting the gadgetry on the bottom and letting it off. And he had a theodolite there that measured the wind speed and the distance. And um, they went back into his post and said, I need to get more sleep <laughs> because he didn't believe what he was seeing, that there were these strange people out living out there in the desert that could run across the desert so fast. And, um, you know, and they actually had children with them. Oh um, so he went back to the, when he went back to the base, he, he went and talked to the, the flight surgeon and said, I think I'm having hallucinations. 
I'm out there in the desert, it's either too much heat or I'm not eating enough or I'm not getting enough fluid. And the surgeon says to him, oh, don't worry about it, just just go with it. So, which, you know, convinced him even more that he was seeing things until um, things got weirder and weirder and he had to accept that they were real flesh and blood entities. So his books write about these experiences and it seems that they had a, a these whites and I call them whites because that's what he calls them in the book, um, had a base further down the valley and um, the Air Force was bussing them in to Las Vegas, as you've mentioned, and um, provided them with clothing and the women with makeup and um, disguised them as nurses and nuns and uh, you know, regular ladies uh, to go into the casinos and get experience of everyday life, everyday civilized, well, not really civilized here in Las Vegas, but, you know, regular life. So those are books that you really need to read. There's some amazing experiences out there, Dr. Angela Smith. I mean, the idea that we are being visited is something that is highly controversial, especially within what is going on with the disclosure movement right now. When you yeah. take when you take a look at the people the people who are having close encounter experiences, what you know from your studies and the people you've worked with, including ex military members and when you fill up at the specially marked giving pump at participating Shell stations, it's not just your engine that benefits. A portion of your purchase will be donated to a local children's charity at no additional cost to you. Fill up today for a good cause by looking out for the colorful purple giving pump, an easy way to give back and drive positive change for children in local communities. Shell is turning empty tanks into brighter futures. It costs nothing extra, but it can mean everything. This episode is brought to you by Pete's. Few things start your day better than a good coffee. That's why Pete's hand roast their coffee from a specific selection of high-quality beans. And they don't just put those beans into anyone's hands. Pete's trains their roasters for 10,000 hours so they can master the roast that gives you the most. Pete's Coffee. Coffee for coffee people. Find Pete's online or at your local retailer. Current military members... Why do you think there's this major cover-up on whether or not we've had ET contact? The conclusion I came to, I did write another book, which was um, Diary of an Abduction back at the turn of like, 2000, I think it was 2001. Um, and the conclusion I came to, because I tried to capture some of my experiences in that, um, was that the government... Um, the powers that be knew about um, the uh, ETs, you know, the, the visitors, but couldn't control them, couldn't explain them. And if they did, you know, they would just have egg on their face. Um, it would be embarrassing to admit that they didn't know who they were, what they would do, what they were doing here. Um, and... Then it sort of changed, and I'm so happy that um, Hal Puthoff, who was one of the original remote viewing pioneers at Stanford Research Institute, decided to become involved with the um, 
I forget his name, the musician. Um, and Tom DeLong. Yes, Tom DeLong, yes. Um, and um, up to that point, I think even Paul Smith, because um, he'd always told the, the established line of, no, all of these people that report these experiences, it's all conspiracy theory or they're psychotic or it's all illusion. Um, it's swamp gas, you know, um, until Scott and I published Voices from the Cosmos. And I thought I'd better tell Paul, because he is my trainer, um, you know, he is my colleague, to let him know this book's coming out um, because of his adamantness about what, this is terrible stuff. Um, and these people need to, you know, stop talking about it. So I told him that about the book because he came to visit Boulder City. And he said, oh, yeah, all that's real. And I almost, my jaw almost hit the floor <laughs> because it was a complete 180. He, had, he doesn't believe it, but he doesn't believe that happened. But that's what I experienced. Um, and um, after that, then, of course, the, you know, the disclosure came. But disclosure is a little bit like the second coming. <laughs> You know, everyone talks about it, expects it, and then it comes out in little dribs and drabs. So I'm happy about what's happening right now, but from my in my perspective, it's too slow. I remember having <laughs> a conversation with Lou Elizondo, the former head of the ATIP program, and I asked him point blank whether or not he felt humanity was ready, and he kind of gave a yes and no type answer. Do you believe with all the religions in the world, with all the different, you know, things that are going on with depression, anxiety, financial situation, do you think that humanity in general is ready for some sort of ET contact? I think so on two levels. One is that I think regular folk who've seen UFOs, who've had ET contact, who've um, you know, from their own personal experience and haven't been allowed to talk about it. Um, there are, I don't know the percentages, I don't know, I haven't looked at modern percentages, but there are so many of them that absolutely know that there are ETs, there are UFOs, they've seen them with their own eyes, they've photographed them. Um, so I think people will be interested to see um you know, some more information come out about this and some more acceptance. And regarding religions, um, I don't know if you, you know, of um, Colonel John Alexander. Yes. Um, yeah, his wife, um, back around 81, 82, um, no, 91, 92, sorry, um, 93, in that time period, she had written um, a questionnaire that was sent out to all the leaders of the world's religions about ETs, UFOs, etc., etc., and what their how their religion would react to the acceptance of the reality of the topic. And it concluded that most of the religions, apart from the very strongly evangelicals, felt that they were um, real, that they were also God's creatures. <laughs> That was the, I think, even the Vatican. So 
um, this, sadly, this, this questionnaire, this study that she did wasn't widely publicized because I think that would make a big difference in, I wish she would come forward and perhaps republish it um, because I think it was a very important study. Yeah, I th- I think so too. You know, I mean, everyday people having these experiences, in your opinion then, why do you think the government has such a hard time admitting to it? Um, I'll tell you my strata theory. <laughs> sure. Um, I think society is in, in stratas or layers. At the... Um, you know, at the bottom are is a big chunk of people, everyday people, just your regular everyday people, who, as I said, have seen UFOs, seen aliens, ex- had experiences, um, and they know this stuff is real. Um, above them are several layers of the church, science, and the skeptics. And at the very, very top, are layer, a thin layer of people in the know, um, such as Lou, Ollis, Lou Alexander, etc., um, and how put off, who know this stuff is real and um, acknowledge it and talk about it openly amongst themselves. But in between, of course, with the scientists, the, the church leaders, the skeptics, who absolutely denounce the topics. For example, the churches say it's all the work of the devil. The scientists say it's not scientific. We don't have a shred of evidence for these topics. And the skeptics say, well, it's all imagination. And at the very least, it's fraud. So the people at the top and the people at the bottom keep quiet. So why do you believe in this instead of taking the the government road and thinking this is fraud for my for me personally yes yeah um, because i have my own experiences but even the people who are calling it fraud have had their own experiences too That's of course the, yes and i've talked to them and they, the they won't part. admit it publicly <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it's kind of like shooting shooting a pistol with one hand and taking a bullet in the other. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But perhaps this will be changing now with this new era of partial, I call it partial disclosure. This is not full disclosure. Um, because now they're taking the stance, well, these UFOs may be harmful. You know, there's a security risk, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's not full disclosure, yeah. but it's a beginning. See, I like to call it uh, confirmation. Ah, okay, yeah. Right. That's a better word. Yeah, I like to call it confirmation because they are confirming the phenomena is real. And and the other thing that I have learned, too, that I kind of get interesting, uh, your opinion on it. One thing that I've learned, especially this year, because – is that the term UAP really means man-made objects. UFOs has nothing to do with UAP. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel that they sanitize the topic getting away because it used to be if 
a UFO was seen, say, over Las Vegas, and Channel 8 announced it and did a little piece on it. Uh, and then there would always be the giggle factor. And they'd say, oh, we're going to have little green men here soon. You know, there was always that mandatory giggle factor at the end. That mm -hmm. that stopped. That's changed. Yeah, I mean, the stigma has changed. But you got to, I guess in my point is the newfound ufologists who came into the game as of 2017, I don't think they fully understand or have taken the time to learn the history of this all, that this subject is much bigger than the start of the USS Nimitz. You know, this goes back yeah. to abductees yeah. and, and government cover-ups and, and government threats on life and, and potentially people taken down because they got too close to the truth. I mean, there's a real ugliness mm -hmm. that still foreshadows mm -hmm. this entire yeah. topic. Yeah. Well, it's like my, my business client, after we'd been doing these ET interviews um, for the year, and I mentioned he came under surveillance. He, would, he had his mail tampered with, his emails tampered with. A car would sit out in his cul-de-sac until he went out to get his mail, and then it would screech off. They oh filmed my. him, photographed him in public. Dr. Angela Smith, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we are going to go to break here at the top of the hour. More remote viewing and extraterrestrial species when we return for hour number two of Spaced Out Radio next. Well, this is great so far. Just great. Good. You're so smart. Good. <laughs> I just tell it as it is. Well, we thank you for it. We thank you for it. I'm just going to step away here. I'm going to put you back in the green room, and I'll be right back, okay? okay? We'll be right back, people. I promise. we got two hours left. I promise.
All right. I am back. We got about a minute to go here. There's Dr. Smith. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And thank you, Simon, for that super chat. <coughs> All right, a big thank you to Louis times two, Deb times two, Simon times two, and Vaughn for the super chats. Very much appreciate the love and support. And if you haven't already, for just five bucks a month, you can join the Space Travelers Club. Head on over to Patreon. The link is in the description below on YouTube. Shop at our store, spacedoutradio.com. And we got about 10 seconds. Here we go. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Here we go with hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you for joining us. My name is Dave Scott, your host behind the microphone and bringing you the woo each and every night. We want to say hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Okami. Okami is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go with Dr. Angela Smith. We're talking alien species and remote viewing. We're continuing with the aliens tonight. Dr. S uh, Smith, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the fact that people are having extraordinary experiences, mainly with these little gray aliens that stand between three and a half feet and five and a half feet tall, you know, they have the long, big, black, almond-shaped eyes, a slit for a mouth, two little holes for nostrils, and three fingers on each hand with an opposing thumb. I mean, these are what nightmares are made of, yet many people out there are having these experiences. Out of all the people you have talked to about this subject, do we know where they're coming from? Do we know what this is all about? I've heard some theories of you know, Alpha Centauri, um, that region, because there's a cluster of um, places out there. Um, but, of course, those are our names for them. So if during an encounter somebody says, are you from Alpha Centauri, then I imagine the ETs would go, where's that? <laughs> because... Um, those are those are all our names for the constellations and the uh, regions of space. 
So I, I don't think anybody really knows. Um, there's also this question of whether they're physical or interdimensional. And um, my feeling is from talking, you know, doing a lot of study, talking to folks, is that they are physical, but they travel interdimensionally. So it's possible that they could come from a long way away um, through an interdimensional route to arrive here. Um, so I don't really know where they're from. Your best estimation, what is with the science experiments they are conducting on humans? From what they've said um, in interviews, they, the ET interviews, was that they graze particularly um, who are doing most of the abductions, but also aided sometimes by the other races. We called them races. Um, said that they, and this is where I disagreed with them and where I knew this was not. When you fill up at the specially marked giving pump at participating Shell stations, it's not just your engine that benefits. A portion of your purchase will be donated to a local children's charity at no additional cost to you. Fill up today for a good cause by looking out for the colorful purple giving pump, an easy way to give back and drive positive change for children in local communities. Shell is turning empty tanks into brighter futures. It costs nothing extra, but it can mean everything. Did you know MDOT spends $3.2 million a year picking up litter? That's money we could use to maintain roads and bridges, patch potholes, and focus on improving Mississippi's infrastructure. It's our job to pick up litter, but it's your job not to litter. Yet 62% of all Mississippi litter is deliberate. We can't do our job if you don't do yours. Visit GoMDOT.com slash Don't Trash MS to learn ways you can help. Don't Trash Mississippi just my imagination doing these interviews is the ETs, the greys, the talls and the small greys thought of the abductions as beneficial to humans. Now, you and I would say, no way. Um, it can cause a lot of angst and, you know, a lifetime of, of uh, trauma for some people. Um, but they said, no, we send out the, this is what the ET said, we send out the um, you know, the hybrids, etc., cetera, um, as ambassadors out into, and you know, in space travel. So they're ambassadors for um, the greys and for the um, Nordics. And, um, of course, I, I disagree with that, that, you know, it is traumatic for people. Um, it's not, to us, it's not beneficial. It's not a beneficial process. So there's lots of disagreement. Um, the other races, you know, I, I did talk to the reptilians, although they didn't initially want to talk to me during one of the interviews. And of course, this is all, you know, mind to mind, this was not face to face. Um, and um, they didn't answer a lot of the questions that we had to ask them. Um, but one of them was about interacting with humans on board craft did they ever interact with humans on board the craft? And they said, uh, yes, they did. Um, and then I, said, I asked them, because I, I was able to type in questions that I had thought of clarifying questions. 
said, well, if you met a human on board the craft, what would you do? And they said, well, we would um, make a loud noise at them, which gave me chills. And I said, what if they didn't move then, if you made the loud noise at them? They said, we pushed them. So again, that's really chilling. Um, so I don't know too much about, I haven't read too many accounts of people encountering um, reptilians on board craft. But um, that, that's what the reptilians reported. I have to ask about these alien interviews. Who conducted them? And are, are the answers from real aliens or are they channeled answers through a person? Well, I was the only one that did the interviews. Um, and I'm a scientist, so I try to stay as neutral as possible. Even my clients said, well, how do we know that these answers aren't coming from some young man doing this in his mother's basement? And I said, because each of the entities, each of the interviews is totally different. For example, we interviewed or I interviewed the, um, the orbs. The orbs are sentient and they are carriers of information. And when I taught, when I tried interacting with them, the responses came back with multiple words combined um, because they're, you know, that's, that's their mode of um, communication. And I had to grasp at the nearest meaning to, to type down. Um, and um, so I can't say that the orb interview was as factual as it could have been because I was grasping at whatever came through. Um, the Nordics were very, very forthcoming. And they I think they are the closest to us in thought and, and physique. Um, and then, of course, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the reptilians were really not, there was a lot of no, no responses from them. They just didn't want to share. But they said what their roles were, was they helped um, chart the craft um, uh, where they need to go, help with navigation, um, etc. as well as, you know, and so they traveled very often with the greys. Hmm. And how did you make this contact? Um, I would sit, I, I already had all the questions typed into my computer. So sat at my computer with the mindset of doing interviews. This was, I'm not a channeler. I'm not a medium. I don't give over my body to discarnate entities. Um, I'm a scientist, first and foremost. And um, I, I did this because the client had asked me to, you know, let's try this experiment. And we were he was always pushing the envelope of remote viewing, even though we did mostly business remote viewing. Um, and uh, so, you know, it was one of those sit down and let's see where we go with this, because I'm always curious. I'm always like my client, I always like to push the envelope. And um, so I would, when I launched into that very first one, I, as I said before, I felt very foolish, and very strange sitting there doing this project and going, I'm going to talk to an alien, you know, wow, that's way out. 
Um, but, um, you know, once I got into an interview, it seemed to flow. And it, it took a, a, over an hour, hour and a half to get through all the questions. And these were the kinds of questions. Um, and you can see those, you know. In fact, um, I have a, an Excel database that was put together by a colleague of mine, uh, Dee Garcia. And um, she, in this um, Excel database, she put all the ETs, the different groups down the side, and all the traits um, at the very top and constructed this database that um, I'm able to, if anybody wants to email me, I'll be happy to share that. It's free, shareable. It's a very large database. You have to scroll across and down to see all the entries, but it gives you a better idea of the differences between the ET groups and um, their responses. So I'm very happy to share that. Okay, that, that that's wonderful. I mean, the idea that you were getting positive interaction from these species somewhere out there at any time during, you know, you being a scientist, did you think that this was completely false or somebody's playing a trick on you? And how did you confirm that there was no trick being played? I tried to remain very factual. And um, if a response came in that didn't didn't seem right, I always asked confirming questions or uh, corroborating questions. What do you mean by that? Tell me more about why should I? Yeah, and there were times where I, I honestly didn't believe what was coming in, but I wrote it down anyway because it was their their thoughts, feelings, behavior, etc., um, um, morality, etc., is alien. It's alien to us. So it was coming in from you know into my consciousness and coming out of me, a human. Um, so there was obviously some. Uh, change to it to make it understandable um, because I don't speak alien um, so I was doing the very best I could to report what I was perceiving and I got used to that doing remote viewing projects um, whatever data comes in you have to report it down very factually um, or set it aside as um, what we call analytical overlay where you're you feel perhaps your, your subconscious is uh, making more of it than it should be, so you have to set it aside. But um, I tried to stay very factual and very scientific during these. But that's not to say that it was totally factual because it came from them through my subconscious. Okay. Was your paper ever peer-reviewed, or, or did you have other scientists no. look at it? Nope. No, because this was um, a business arrangement uh, with a client. Right. Um, it was not a scientific project. Um, and it sat in my computer for years because the client, once he got spooked, he said, let's stop this and get back to business remote viewing. Um, just keep them in your computer. So I had them there for years. I think it was about seven years. And... Um, 
the client retired and sold his businesses and went abroad, then came back to uh, to the west coast, you know, the east coast there, and passed away. Um, and um, I thought, you know, this we'd always talked about writing a book together, um, and he'd always given permission for this stuff to be published eventually. So I started putting out these ET interviews one at a time. To um, I don't know if you ever knew Donald Ware. Um, he had a group of about I don't know six seven hundred people that he would send out interesting tidbits of information. So he said, "Why don't I send out one of these interviews、um, a week and see the reaction?" Because I thought people would come back and say, "What a load of hooey! This is ridiculous! This is garbage!" <laughs> I was quite prepared for that and quite prepared to just bury the interviews again for as long as need be, because I was not. It was just interesting. I thought, you know, there might be other people out there interested. Did you know M. Dot spends three point two million dollars a year picking up litter? That's money we could use to maintain roads and bridges, patch potholes, and focus on improving Mississippi's infrastructure. It's our job to pick up litter, but it's your job not to litter. Yet sixty-two percent of all Mississippi litter is deliberate. We can't do our job. If you don't do yours, visit goemdot.com/slash/don'ttrashms to learn ways you can help. Don't trash Mississippi. Uncle Nearest is the most awarded bourbon and American whiskey for 2020, 2021, and 2022. Blended by four-time Master Blender of the Year, Victoria Edie Butler, the great-great-granddaughter of Nearest Green, the first known African American master distiller, proudly served throughout the United States in your favorite bar and restaurants. To find your location, visit us at UncleNearest.com. Please enjoy responsibly. Must be 21 years old to purchase. 50% alcohol by volume. Uncle Nearest Incorporated, Shelbyville, Tennessee. The response was amazing. They wanted more. They wanted to hear more, and、um, because, and then one day there was a an email from、um, one of my colleagues who, because I did all this under a pseudonym of、uh, Rosetta Stone. Very nice. <laughs> yeah,、um, because I didn't at that time didn't want to out myself.、Um, Because I feared all this ridicule that would come back and criticism, but、um, as I said, the response was great. And Scott Jones, who was my colleague, longtime colleague, came back and said, "Who is this guy that's putting all these things out? We need to hear more of these. Why doesn't he come forward?" So I contacted him and said, "Hey, Scott, it's me." And he said, "Okay, well, we need to write a book together." <laughs> and that's how. Voices from the cosmos came about. Okay,、uh, a couple more questions about the ET side of everything. You know, you hear about the Council of Twelve, you hear about the Galactic Federation, you hear about all this stuff. In your contact with these, do you do you buy that? Do you believe there is a a council out there that is watching to see humankind、uh, mature to the point where we could be invited to the party? That was one of the questions on the list that we asked them, and some of the groups said, "Yeah, of course we belong to the Confederation, and we have to follow the rules and regulations."、Um, and others said, "No way are we going to belong to a Confederation." There was a, a mixed group 
across all the ET races of some who were very much in the Confederation and others who weren't. And others that, you know, were like, what's the Confederation? Um, so they didn't know what it was. So it was a mixed bag of responses. And what do you believe personally? I think it's not as clear cut as we would like it to be. Um, I think it's probably conventions amongst certain races that have been around for maybe millennium, millennia. Um, and others are included in it and some are not. But the, one of the reasons um, that I put value on, on what the client gave me to do was not just that he was a, a brilliant business owner, a very smart man, and he had multiple businesses across the state and abroad, um, was that after he passed away, I decided to do a little uh, snooping <laughs> because I always felt there was more to him than he told me. And I couldn't ask him because I'm sure he would have denied it. Um, but after he passed, um, I, I went back to England for six months and came back. I thought I wanted to see whether I wanted to retire in England. And he said, as long as I had the email and et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, phone and email, then we could still work together. I came back to Boulder City after six months because I missed the warmth. Um, and I sent my change of address to his office and I got on a mailing list. Um, and I suddenly started getting all of this literature. I think it got you know, into this um, routine email, mailing list. And I was getting conference materials out of San Diego for irregular warfare. That's weird. And I'm like, what on earth is irregular warfare? And so I opened up this pamphlet, started reading through, and it was all the... Um, some of the military groups, some of the defense contractors that got together and did these conferences on what they also call asymmetric warfare, which is they use unconventional means to for warfare. Um, and I thought, oh, there's my client's um, business address, but it's this military Navy captain who's giving a talk. That's interesting. So I then started, you know, doing a little bit more research. And then when he passed away, I, because I, I felt kind of nervous about doing it because I thought, well, what have, what have we been doing all these years? Who have we been doing this work for? Um, so when he passed, I felt free then to do a little bit more um, I don't call it snooping as such, but a little bit of research. Um, and I found online a visa application that had um, a Virginia company that also had the name of his company because there were multiple companies in his, with his company names throughout the state. And at the very bottom was my client's information. 
his office information on this visa application. So there was a connection. It was like the smoking gun. One thing and I felt kind of nervous right. <laughs> when one, I did that. I hid it away. <laughs> one thing that I have um, learned recently is how many private companies and defense companies are actually secretly looking into all of these subjects, everything yeah. from near-death experiences to cattle mutilations to, to ET contact to paranormal activity. There is a bunch of them doing this privately because they don't want the public to know that they're studying this research. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Why do you yeah. think that is? Basically, it's this secrecy, it's this plausible denial concept. If you can deny it, then you can keep it secret and, you know, you can spend money and um, just pretend to be somebody else or something else. Do you think it, it is a, a disclosure for dollars, so to speak, that they're fighting for? Well, there's certainly a lot of black budget money goes into these companies and keeps them going, provides jobs. We, so maybe, I don't know. I haven't been in that that strata of society, so I'm not. Right. We got, about, we got about 45 seconds to go. Do you believe the United States government is in contact with extraterrestrial species? With what I've researched, yes. And what leads you to that? Um, having been at the Hair Lab and having worked with Robert Bigelow and other groups, um, you hear things, you know, you read things, and you put two and two together. Well, that's something we need to look at at another time, because when we come back from the break, we are getting into remote viewing. What's it like? How do we do it? What is the purpose? Dr. Angela Smith is with us. She is a remote viewing expert. And we're going to learn all about it within the next 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. So stay tuned. Maybe we'll remote view you sitting in the bubble bath listening to this show tonight. We'll be right back. Bubble bath. Mm. That's I know. There's so much stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's awesome. That is awesome. Oh, what a good night! I told you this was going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. Area fifty one. How are you, Lord William? Good to see you. And Android Paranormal sitting in the bathtub right now. Bears eat beets. Bears reading my garbage the other day. And there was no beets in there. You don't have bears where you are, do you? 
Dr. Smith. You don't have bears, do you? Bears? Um, I think there's some up in the mountains, but uh, very nothing, none in Las Vegas. Mm. No, but even south, oh, going into the into the Rockies, there's no bears there. I'm sure there are. Yeah, I don't know. Aren't, aren't bears everywhere, all over the world? Black yeah. bears, yeah. Black bears, grizzlies, yeah. Grizzlies are big. I've never seen a grizzly. I've seen many at the time. I've not in person. I have only seen. Uh, I have only seen. Uh, I saw a mama and her two cubs. Oh. I think the closest is like closest I. So I just got the State Farm Personal Price Plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog. <laughs> What? No, I didn't get that. Personal, my agent just helped me create an affordable price just for me. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster! Contact local agent E.G. Warren Jr. in Gulfport today. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Harper Wild is creating a more comfortable world for womankind. Starting with the world's most comfortable bras and underwear, which are tested by real people with real bodies, who say things like, it feels like clouds are holding up my ladies, or the holy grail of bras, and you'll have to pry these bras out of my cold, dead hands. That comfortable. Get $15 off your order with code COMFY at HarperWild.com. That's code COMFY at HarperWild.com. A bear was in West Orange, New Jersey, and a black bear was running up the road, but away from us. So... That was my encounter with a black bear. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely bear season here. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, I like it. I like the bears. It's, yeah. a, it's the mountain we have, I don't like. Yeah, we have coyotes here and, yep. um, of course, pumas, wildcats. Yes, puma. Mountain lion, cougar, all the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have them. I've only seen two since I moved up here. I've not seen one, but they've they've seen footprints down by Lake Mead in the mud, yeah. and uh, they're supposedly up in the mountains. They they go after the bighorn sheep. Yeah, around here they go for the deer, the rabbits, the. A lot of a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Dogs, cats. Mm -hmm. All right, we have about uh, two minutes. Yeah, the coyotes here take cats and small dogs. Yeah, if they're let out. Yeah. Same as the uh, as the. Um, um, foxes here. We got a, we got foxes uh -huh. around here. I, I love the foxes. Do you have, do you have wolves out in the forest? We do. Okay, yeah. Yeah, out in the forest, we got everything. 
We do. We got everything. All right. We got just over a minute to go here. Yeah, We have a lot of wildlife here because where I'm living is on the edge of Boulder City overlooking the lake. Yeah. And we get a lot of wildlife that comes up through the yard, you know, roadrunners and quail, rabbits, coyotes. I haven't seen any snakes so far up here. Good. I don't like the snakes. Yeah, but we do have snakes, so they are around. Nummy, man. I see a little garter snake and I am out. I am like <laughs> screaming, running like a like a banshee. <laughs> They're probably more afraid of you than you are of them. That's okay. I'm not willing to take the chance. One <laughs> second here. Thank you, Simon times two, Vaughn, Louie times two, and Debster times two for the great super chats. Appreciate the love. And here we go, everyone. Past the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you missed portions of this show or others, you can check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join us on the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. For the final time tonight, Dr. Angela Smith is here, and we're going to learn all about remote viewing. What's it like? What's it for? How did we come across this? Dr. Smith, how did we find out about remote viewing? Okay, well, there is a 50-year history, <laughs> starting um, with Ingo Swan, who was being researched in uh, New York with, at the American Society for Psychical Resort, Research, heard about Hal Putoff out at Stanford Research Institute in California, um, who was having had some theories about um, intuitive, psychic stuff being related to, um, you know, some um, quantum mechanical processes. So Ingo contacted him and said, I want to come out and visit with you guys. And um, and all this is documented. Visit with you guys and maybe, you know, study with you and sh- to share my ideas with you. So he went out and I think he was out there in a total of nine years. Um, and um, not only... Um, following their guidelines, but also saying, oh, we could refine the project this way or that way. Um, and of course, there was a whole plethora of people, I love that word, um, Me who too. came in also and were research and, and were, you know, studied. Um, so first of all, they were doing um, something called coordinate remote viewing, where um, 
either a geographic location uh, coordinates or uh, an encrypted coordinate, which was like a random number um, and a series of numbers was given to a viewer and they weren't called um, specifically remote viewers at that time. You know, they were subjects in a, in a lab, um, in a research lab. Um, but um, Hal Potoff uh, was working with them primarily and then um, Russell Targ came in, his colleague, and they had a, a huge program going for many years um, and um, sponsored by a lot of the, uh, you know, defense intelligence agencies, CIA, DIA, etc. cetera. Um, and then Ingo eventually decided that um, he wanted to teach um, some groups more specifically because he had this um, idea of stages of being doing it very formally so that he could actually teach people to do what he did naturally. Um, and the military um, took, it, took it upon themselves and opened up a research program that became eventually after many iterations of their name, um, the Stargate unit at Fort Meade, Maryland. And of course, Paul Smith was trained there and Lynn Buchanan, David Morehouse, um, some of the, the key people in the current modern remote viewing field. Um, and um, he taught them a very structured pen and paper, um, verbal, verbally written, verbal and written protocol that took the viewers through stages, gradually approaching the, the target, getting more and more information about the target. And it's very specific. You need to keep. You have to keep to this protocol. But it's almost like a um, do this, then you'll get this. If you don't get this, then you do this. Um, it's not everybody's cup of tea. There's some people who actually hate controlled remote viewing, which is what it's called. Um, and it came out of more natural remote viewing, extended remote viewing stream of consciousness remote viewing, which is still around. And that's how I came into remote viewing before I got trained by the military guys, was stream of consciousness where you get in the zone, get your target and go there and get the information, write it down, record it, um, and do, you know, do some sketches. So there is a difference between the more stream of consciousness, open-ended kind of remote viewing and the very, very strict coordinate remote viewing um, or controlled remote viewing that was brought in by Ingo Swan for the military. Uh, a lot of people think now that controlled remote viewing is the only remote viewing um, because it, it does, it takes you through pen and paper stages um, which are very, very strictly controlled, but it does get you data. Um, you just start off with a, a coordinate, which is an alphanumeric or the date or whatever the your tasker or your client wants to give you with no other upfront information. Um, most viewing is done what we call blind. So you just get this uh coordinate this. I think of it as GPS for the, the subconscious. Um, 
but I, I do both. I do both ERV, extended remote viewing, stream of consciousness, remote viewing, because that's how I came into the field. Then I went and trained with Paul and I went and trained with Lynn. And now if I'm doing specific tasking for a particular client, they usually let you know um, what protocol they want you to use. So I can, I can do either. Uh, so there are now many, many schools out there. Um, controlled remote viewing is still, I think of as the gold standard because you do the protocol, you get the data. With the ERV, with more stream of consciousness, as you've mentioned, you know, your own um, imaginings, idea, the noise, the mental noise sometimes comes in. And it takes a strong remote viewer to break through that mental noise. Um, so there's just a huge range of remote viewing methods out there now. And you pay your bucks and you take your choice. <laughs> I, I want to quickly ask you the purpose of remote viewing. Is it for third eye spying? Like, when we heard stories of them trying to remote view into the Kremlin or other places, or is it, is it, you know, what, what, what's the purpose of it? Well, it definitely was when the, the Stargate unit were working with it. Um, that was, you know, their purpose. <clears throat> now it's used from everything from finding a murderer, um, you know, finding missing people, um, locations, finding like a realtor wanting the best location for, you know, to, to buy. Um, there are as many different types of remote viewing applications as viewers or as trainers, because it's it has multiple uses. Hmm. Okay, so what would a, what would a business say use it for? Um, my client used it for, um, for example, he would say, this was post 9-11 when he contacted me and I started working with him. So he was very conscious about, about any major events that might impact his business. So um, as well as the coordinate, which was the GPS, the address of the target, um, he would say, um, at such and such a date, will there be any events that will negatively impact my business? So I and some other remote viewers would um, sit down with pen and paper and do a project and see what came in and then would send that information to the client, which he found very helpful and very useful because we picked up all sorts of things for him. And give our audience an example of something you would target. Um, one of the things I was targeted with was Amelia Earhart. Where's Amelia Earhart? Where's her plane? Um, and I was targeted twice on that, once by a, an engine, structural engineer. Um, and, um, and the second time, much later, and they didn't, he didn't know about the, the other work that I'd done, said, okay, we need to go find Amelia Earhart. And I also, I did the project, 
And then I brought in some of my other viewers that I, I bring in occasionally and perceived that she was in a prison in a Japanese occupied island in the middle of the Pacific. And that, um, you know, she she died there. So there was a lot more. I mean, there's um, I've written um, two books, Seer and Scribe, that contain a lot of these cases. Um, and for years, I, I, you know, I wrote all this up and I gave talks on it and wrote about it. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that two researchers went out to the Navy archives in Washington, D.C. and found, in fact, documentation there in the Navy archives that said that Amelia Earhart had been a prisoner of the Japanese in Saipan, um, Garapan Prison on Saipan Island in the Pacific Islands. And it's quite likely she died there. Um, they're still looking for her plane, but and also her, her um, navigator, uh, Noonan, also was there in that prison. And the people there actually remember her being there, the people of the island. Oh, really? So, yeah. So this is not it doesn't go public, you know, people don't know, they're still looking for Amelia. So that was one of the major projects that I did. And what's your percentage of accuracy? I know from my training, when I've looked at my training sec um, sessions and compared them with the feedback, because there are certain protocols we could use. I'm around about um, 70 to 78% accurate. That's pretty good. It's, it's workable. It's useful for work. Yeah. That is very good. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you fully, you fully have to trust what you were seeing at that time. So with Amelia Earhart, the fact that you were approaching there, how did... How did you see that she was in a Japanese uh, prison camp? Like, what gave you that clue? What tipped you off? Because in the first um, project that I did for the engineer, I saw them come down on a on an island, on like a reef, and um, because they wanted a better radio signal. And then they were picked up by a rowboat with uh, Japanese soldiers um, and she was saying, I don't understand these, you know, because I was picking up this information. Um, she couldn't understand what they were saying, but they had guns and they took them in a rowboat to a bigger boat and then um, to a prison. And then later on, when I did the project again, then I and many other of the viewers, because there were about 10 of us that did blind tasking and I, I knew where I was going to look because I can do that. I can set aside um, anything else and just hone in on what I need to find. Um, they all came back with very similar information. It was a prison. They, they, eat, they did drawings of the prison um, and the area and the Japanese and the Japanese flag and a lot of information. So you know, that's how we, we knew where she was and what was happening with her. Well, if there is information written down that she was in a Japanese uh, 
jail or prison uh, do during that time? Why why has it been so hard to to confirm that? Well, these these journalists have found have confirmed it. They they had they came, went on to a um, um, it was a documentary program. I forget the actual name of the the program but they went on one of the documentaries, one of the better known ones, and it, uh, they went out to Saipan and they interviewed people and they went to the archives and they showed the archives, you know, so, but it's just, there are some people who don't want to believe, they don't want to understand. That's like with a there was also, yeah, a lot of people said to me, and this is this was important too. I'll just add this in quickly. Um, people said, well, if she was a prisoner of the Japanese, why didn't the Americans go and pick her up and rescue her? Well, at the time there was a, a, a war going on, and um, the Americans had broken the Japanese code. Is what I heard from a, a military colleague. If the Americans had said, oh, we know Amelia is there on Saipan, it would have indicated they had broken the Japanese code. And they, they still wanted to go on accessing, you know, the information from the Japanese. So she was basically left there. Are there still uh, uh, remote viewing groups within the government that are targeting areas, whether it was, say, Osama bin Laden when he was alive or what's happening with Vladimir Putin right now? I'm sure they are. I've heard rumors, but I don't know for sure. But I, I think there are. Would it be prudent to be doing something like that? If it's sanctioned by the military or the government, then, you know, it would be, that it would be financed. Is there still a program that finances or that's being financed? I, I don't, I, well, my answer is I don't know, but I, I, my gut feeling is that there are. Now you talk about using uh, remote viewing to find criminals in cases, whether it's murder or kidnapping or anything like that, how does that work? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, how much time do we have? We got about uh, six minutes. Okay, I'll try and keep this short. Um, I was tasked um, quite a few years ago by a colleague. He said, I've got a project for you. He approached me at a conference. He said, Here's the coordinate. And he gave me a series of letters and numbers. He said, um, see what you get. And I did stream of consciousness, remote viewing, ERV, and saw this body of water, brackish water, coming out from an estuary of an island, um, a lot of, um, you know, brackish kind of water with this seaweed, um, kelp-like seaweed, and a body, a dead body in the water. So I wrote that up, gave it to my colleague. He said, no, 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 that's, that can't be. He said, this is my friend. He's been missing for four weeks in California. Uh, we need to find him. So I just got the State Farm Personal Price Plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog? Ah. 
What? No, I didn't get that. Personal, my agent just helped me create an affordable price just for me. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster! Contact local agent E.G. Warren Jr. in Gulfport today. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Harper Wild is creating a more comfortable world for womankind. Starting with the world's most comfortable bras and underwear, which are tested by real people with real bodies who say things like, it feels like clouds are holding up my ladies or the holy grail of bras. And you'll have to pry these bras out of my cold dead hands. That comfortable. Get $15 off your order with code comfy at harperwild.com. That's code comfy at harperwild.com. I said, I will, I will task a few other viewers blindly without telling them my results and uh, see what they get. And they got very similar information too. Turned out that this Denver DJ went out to California, got befriended by this guy who wanted to sail around the world, but um, also took away the DJ's inheritance um, and eventually killed him and dumped him off the, his boat off of Catalina Island. So we were able then to do some profiling some location work and um, the FBI were involved. The DJ, the, um, the sheriff's office in, wasn't Catalina, I think it was the LA sheriff's office became involved and um, they knew about remote viewing. So they were comfortable with accepting the information and um, even were interviewed on a TV show where they said, yeah, we'd heard about remote viewing, we got this data, and we were able to eventually apprehend the guy. So that's a way, a very successful way to, to use remote viewing. I love it. I absolutely love it. What is something you would want to target? And have you tried to target extraterrestrials by doing that? Um, I don't anymore. Um, I'd rather just meet them in person. I'd rather, you know, meet the visitors. Um, because if you target the ETs, as you say, you know, you know, it's difficult. They, they, their thoughts, feelings, interactions, etc., are alien. And, um, I've been there, done that. So I really don't need to do any more work on that. But, uh, I really, I'm interested in, contacting and, and perhaps documenting interactions with Earth-based ET groups. So where do you think we're hiding these toys? All the toys, air bases, etc. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, I asked a friend of mine who was in the know about stuff like this, and his answer was, what if they don't land? And I said, what? And he's like, what if they don't land? He goes, Dave, an American jet fighter never has to land because we have in-flight refueling. He goes, if we have black triangles, he goes, who says they have to land? And I was like... And, And if they're interdimensional, they don't have to land. They can just go in between wherever they go. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, that's just yeah. the way way it seems to go. It's the way it seems to go. With two minutes to go, what would you like or what would you encourage our audience to get into remote viewing? Why would you do that? Um, think about your own style of mental processing. Are you Are you more of a sequential person? You like stages? You like A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4? Or are you more stream of consciousness? And then look out, look for various trainers that will train you in that modality. Because if you go and do, if you're more stream of consciousness person than you go do CRV, you're probably going to hate it because it's very restricting. Um, so just look for trainers that will that will work with your type of processing. I think that's the, the major thing. And how can people get to you and find your books? Say that again. How can people get a hold of you and find your books? Oh, they can find me at uh, my website is mindwiseconsulting.com. Uh, and my email is mindwiseconsulting at gmail.com. Wow. Very simple. Quickly, before I, I have to say goodnight to you. How often do you remote view? It varies. It goes in phases. Um, some There's sometimes where I'm busy doing a lot of remote viewing and other times where it's quiet. So um, it depends. You know, I just go with the flow. So not once a week, <laughs> once every two weeks, or just whenever you feel like it. Uh, whenever I get tasked, which we call it tasking, when um, right. a, a inquiry comes in to do a project. I can see that. Well, Dr. Angela Smith, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here on Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you, and I, I can't wait to do this again. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. It's been a lot of fun for sure. So thank you very, very much. And coming up next... Terry Hall is going to be with us. It's a UFO report for the final hour of Spaced Out Radio. We're going to skip Among the Missing tonight. But that's okay. we got lots of UFO news coming at you right after this. Stay tuned. Hour 3 is next. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate you. Oh, thank you. This was fun. That was a lot yeah. of fun. That was. Next time I bring you on, we're going to concentrate fully on the remote viewing process because that just okay. intrigues me. Sure, yeah. All right, we'll let you get some sleep. Okay, well, thank you very much, and um, all best wishes for your show. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Dr. Angela Smith, everybody. I'm going to quickly step away, and then I will be right back. <coughs> Be right there.
quiet. Dave's back. Dave's back. Shh. Shh. <coughs> I'm tired. Dogman UK, how are you? D. Henderson, how are you? Area 51, Thurston Howell III, Stargazer. Good to see you. CS, nice to see you. The gorgeous Amy WC, what's up? Sovereign Farts, hope you're farting hard tonight. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bloated tonight. You ever get those nights where you're just like so thirsty and you're like pounding back the water? Hey, Terry, I'm coming to you right off the top here, so you might want to log in. I am totally having one of those bloated nights. I'm probably going to get up like five, six times during the night tonight. Just go to the bathroom, it's going to piss me off. Pun intended. Thank you to Lord William Simon times two, Vaughn Louis times two, Deb times two for the super chats. And for just five bucks a month, you can join the Space Travelers Club. The link is below in the show description on YouTube. Here we go. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com. For all your latest show info, now back to Dave Scott and SOR. Here we go with the third and final hour of Space Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Akami. Akami is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join us on Patreon in the Space Travelers Club. We're going to head right now to the UFO report, filling in for little Timmy Senor, who is sick tonight. Here's Terry Hall and his mustache. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. Terry Hall, it's been a busy week in the UFO world. There's been a bunch of new videos that have been released by Border Patrol, of all things. You know, but I was looking at some of these videos today, my man, and I'm telling you, I turned them off. They looked so fake 
and they looked so ridiculous. They were calling, like, here's an example, okay? Here's an example. They had this helicopter following what was allegedly a UFO, and you could tell that it was like one of those hang gliders, and the guy is going around in the hang glider flying around, and you could tell he was a drug dealer or a drug smuggler because you could see this big like hockey bag drop from the 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 hang glider and then the hang glider gets out but they're like oh no this this is UAP this is UAP ridiculous terry well, it, well it's it's just like on the other side of the world with uh, the whole deal with the chinese were now <laughs> surface to ground missile or uh, a uh, ground air missiles are now UAP uh, th- those are UAP now this is just the the whole border patrol thing, though. That that got me about as much as the executive summary of the NASA report from the other day. <laughs> but I mean, why? Why is it be? Is it because they say they've relaxed? Uh, being able to report UFOs, and if so, where do you report to them? Because the, the UFO hotline still MIA. There's no phone number. There's no website. There's so how are they just going to keep dropping splashes stuff like this? Especially, I mean, this is going to go on the meme calendar for the year. Mm-hmm. You've got. The, the the Chinese balloons in February, and now you've got now you've got this. I can't imagine the memes that are going to come out because of this. Oh my goodness! Okay, this is if, this is just typical UFO community stuff. If you were watching on our YouTube channel, so our, for our radio audience, you you could go on our YouTube channel and watch this after. There's a video of an A10 Thunderbolt flying through the sky. Okay, and they claim that there is a UAP that all of a sudden starts following the plane. Now, the the A-10 has a top speed of just over 400 miles an hour. It's not a fast aircraft, okay? But if you look on the screen, all of a sudden you'll see this dot kind of flying around it. The, the jet passes it, and then it looks like this dot starts following the jet. The problem is, in certain frames, if you can watch it, you can see wings on it because it's a bird. It's a bird, people. It's got wings. You know, I mean, it's... I look at this and I'm just like, okay, whatever it may be. But to me, it's looking like it's got wings. And and trust me, I want these videos to be real, okay? There's nothing more that I want than for them to be real. But they're not showing us anything really good. Like, here's a, a fast-moving, what looks to be an orb over, I don't know, an airport, okay? Looks like an airport, I don't know, Terry. What are your thoughts? 
That's the one that I saw that puzzled me. Uh, I, I was just going to make the comment. Is this going to be one of those to where they're going to drop a ton of them and then maybe we'll find a jewel out of the plethora of, you know, being spaced out radio. But if you watch that one, I don't know. It To me, that almost, again, looks like a bird. But I don't know how good their thermal cameras are either at keeping things in frame and not stretching and, and gleaming out. So this one, this one kind of puzzled me. Some of the other ones that they posted are, are I mean, they're Sunday funnies funny, but some of the other ones that they've posted, this one changes speed, It, but it doesn't really do anything erratic. It's just a, a solid, flat, no lefts, no rights, no ups, no downs. It's just flat across. Yeah. And just, you know. So, like I said, is it going to be, are they going to drop enough of them to where there's enough to go through to where we might find something? Or is this well, just another way to muddy up the waters? They're saying there were 10 videos released. And this looks like it's around the border patrol between the United States and Mexico. And in this video, there's like this white orb that seems to be moving extremely slowly towards the the buildings i mean to me that looks like a floating balloon this one looks like a balloon that's kind of been caught in in the wind you know and really isn't doing much it's not making any major turns or or anything moving very slowly by a bunch of semi trucks doesn't look to be that high off the ground and then it seems to lose its steam like a balloon does and then just dies out behind di- the dies hill out. there. Dies out. Let's That's a, you know, like I said, is, is it and then just it seems to come, it, it, it to does come back up the water. It does come back, but it looks like a, a tinfoil balloon that's caught in the wind. Right. Yeah. It's not doing anything. Really. It's not doing anything that would draw your attention and make you think anything, but no. it's what you're describing. It's, it, it's like a, a, Halfway filled helium balloon is just caught in an in an in air air eddy or a current. Right. I don't know what the hell we're looking at in this video. It just seems like we're looking at a bunch of tall grass that's surrounding some buildings, and then a human-looking thing running really fast, like a video game from Atari. If you have sleep apnea and struggle with CPAP. Consider that CPAPs were invented in 1980. Do you even remember 1980? Everyone's house had one telephone. There were like four TV channels. Come on. You played video games in arcades and watched movies in theaters. GPS was a folded map and a helpful gas station attendant. And social media was inviting the neighbors to come look at your vacation pictures. A lot has changed since 1980. Now for people who struggle with CPAP, there's Inspire. Inspire is an implanted device that treats sleep apnea inside your body at the click of a remote. It's the only FDA-approved sleep apnea treatment of its kind. While you sleep, Inspire keeps you breathing normally and resting comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. To learn more, visit InspireSleep.com. 
Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. So I just got the State Farm personal price plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog? What? No, I didn't get that personal. My agent just helped me create an affordable price just for me. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster! Contact local agent E.G. Warren Jr. in Gulfport today. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Running through. <laughs> That's Now, this one, this one tied into another one that was similar to it in Chicago. Uh, but the, the they're calling these light beings, and the the quote unquote light being that was filmed in Chicago was actually in the sky. Well, do you remember the video this, this Atari video like game a, Pitfall, where the, the way the guy ran? We're going back yeah, to about 1984 here. This looks yeah, like if, that if, character if, from Pitfall. Looks completely like the little pixelated fellow that used it. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, it's it's if it's if it's a guy playing, if it's a guy from Pitfall, he's on Turbo Boost because he's making pretty good tracks. Uh. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're this is called having fun tonight on the show. I, I'm trying to find the video to the. Uh, the uh, um, I think this might be it. This is this. I may- can't even believe I remembered that the guy had Turbo Boost on Pitfall. Right. This one's this video here has it looks like a black type orb filmed from a helicopter, and all of the data that the helicopter puts up on the head up display has been taken away. Yeah, I think that this is the one that I believe is the hang glider. That's what, yeah, that that is this one. And see, that's what makes me wonder about what what actually the type cameras that they're using. Well, this is definitely footage from a helicopter, but I mean, this one if if this is the one, we're all of a sudden going to see the hang glider get close to the ground and actually drop a baggage like it's a like it's a a a somebody who's maybe remote controlling a hang glider there's a great view of it and all of a sudden it's going to circle it's going to drop a bag coming up here it's it, it's like a remote control actually if you look behind that one Dave you can almost see the the exhaust coming out of the back that i believe that's actually one of those Prop driven, yes. Glider, yes. That's that's exactly what it drops. It drops something into the ground. Okay. Yep. And to me, that would be you know marijuana, cocaine, other types of drugs. That, uh, but see, now this is the thing that, uh, according to what NASA said. Uh, that they're going to gravitate towards. They're, they're going to grab. They're going to be. They said, you know, uh, they're they're asking everybody, according to them, to come forward. So, what what really got to me about the whole NASA thing was, and it was in their report. And the thing is, 
they don't have really lightweight people in their uh, on the board. There was a couple guys from the FAA there. There were uh, from AE Industrial Partners, from universities, and in their own executive wrap up right in the beginning, it basically says they don't even have baselines. Uh, at, at present, quote, at present, analysis of UAP data is hampered by poor sensor calibration, the lack of multiple measurements, the lack of sensor metadata, lack of baseline data, baseline data. In other words, every bit of data they're lacking in. But a paragraph above that, they say they're uniquely qualified to study UFOs. Well, and I think you got some good points going there, my man. You really do. And and I, I look at it, too. <coughs> Excuse me. I look at it, too, is, you know, this is where if we play the conspiracy card of UAP, this is a prime example of anything flying that can't be easily identified being UAP, okay? And when I look at, when you see a, a footage of what is clearly, clearly a hang glider that probably has some sort of of um, jetpack on the back of it, and then it drops a bag onto the ground, which is what a lot of, of drug... Uh, runners do to keep away from the police and the, and the border patrol okay it's obvious that they're pulling the wool over our eyes it's obvious to me that they are doing this on purpose to try and screw people up about the whole uap phenomena okay this is why you know and people get sick of it when i say it terry but this is why I am very staunchly against this entire UAP crap. Because what we've seen in these videos is crap and easily un and easily identifiable. And I'm not even a video professional. Okay? But it's easy to see. And to me, it's shameful to watch them pull you know, this type of video out and try and fool people that this is something we need to be wary of. Well, of course you need to be wary of UAP because they're man-made. And that means if they're man-made, people are trying to invade your airspace. UFOs, they can't control them. They don't know where they're going to pop up. They don't know when they're going to come down to the ground. There is no control. And this is the argument that I have with a lot of people in the UFO community who want to play the UAP game because it's the popular terminology of the day. And I hate harping on it because I know our audience is sick of me talking about it. But well, how else do you get the message across? How many more offices are we going to have to... to to listen to. I mean, first you had this one, then you had that one, then you had the AARO, and now you've got this thing from NASA, and none of them are doing anything or going anywhere. 
Look at the look at the footage that they're giving us to look at. Grainy, and even though it's it's grainy and it's it's basically horrible, you can still tell it's a hang glider, it's a bird, it's a balloon. It, I tell you what, Dave, if if they gave us the public a tenth of what they spent so far to get them to where they're at right now we'd basically be grilling in the backyard with with Fred the alien I think mm-hmm. uh, I, it, it's mind blowing to me it it just is but the NASA can speak out of this side of their mouth and and oh it's frustrating i i hear you it's man it's frustrating i hear you and it, it's you know i mean our job is to try and educate people with the proper information that's our job Okay. Yep. And but how do we do it when every day we see people inundated with stupidity? And that's exactly what we're seeing with this UAP videos, these 10 videos that have come out. Is there once again treating us if as if we are ignorant? Well, it's it's not just stupidity, but if you recall correctly, back on the twenty fourth, just back on on uh, whoopsie, uh, Jill, it was July twenty fourth, when uh, the Pentagon um, basically blocked lawmakers from seeing videos and and footage and hearing testimony about UFO UAE, the, the Pentagon pushed back against it. And they're continuing. They're, they're still pushing back. They're trying to get the whole bill just gone. So it's not it's not just in disinformation anymore. It's not just a stigma. It's not just a stupidity. But now it's actual pushback from the government. Are they, are, is it going to go back in the bottle again for another 20 years? That I don't know. I I wish I could tell you that, but I mean, considering, you know, let's look at the at the at the, possible, the the story here for a second, though. Okay, we know the Navy and the U.S. Air Force is no longer sending out videos. We know this; they've said it. So why all of a sudden, out of the blue, would the Border Patrol? between California and Mexico, all of a sudden release a bunch of videos, which are not very good, to say the least. But they're claiming these are 10 new released videos of UAP. Why enter the game? Once again, it makes no sense. Nope. And it 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 wasn't just it, the the thing about it was too that they didn't spec they didn't just specify that it was where they said the border where you would assume with everything else that's going on that it would have been our southern border. It was the border between, according to the story, um was both borders, but specifically they were pointing the fingers towards Canada. 
with the Border Patrol. So, like you said, why the Border Patrol of all things? And, and why the ones, it, the whole thing doesn't make sense to me. It just really, none of it adds up. It, it, to me, it's just a way to muddy the waters even more than they are already. Is that, is that what you think they're doing? I, I'm, I'm not understanding the reasoning. I, Terry, I, I want to understand the reasoning. I'm not finding the logic behind it. Okay. And usually when something has been released there outside of the videos that Jeremy Corbell had released on his own, those four videos that he released from his sources, I'm not quite sure when the military has shut down operations on UFO videos for the public, why all of a sudden they would open this up. It, like, there's no sense to it. They've gone against the grain of what the military has said they were doing. And it's baffling. You know, it's a, this is this is one of those new mysteries where, you know, all the UAPers are going to be championing these videos. And in the meantime, skeptics like Mick West and others are going to have a heyday ripping them apart. Look, I want videos to be real. I believe the Nimitz incident. Okay? I believe other videos that they put out there are real. But this, if you can't see right through this, just go on Twitter and type in latest UFO videos and hit video. It's well, They're all the right problem, there. The problem is, though, Dave, is the larger networks pick this up, too, like, it was on NBC. So this was, this went mainstream yeah. too, which, and if I remember right, the one that they showed on NBC was the one that was, it, I think it was the bird video, the one that looks like a bird. Terry, let's hold on right there because we do got to go to break here at the bottom of the hour. We have Terry Hall for the UFO report. And what has been the reaction about NASA this week? And a lot more on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. All right, buddy, we're clear. I mean, I'm looking at some of the at some of the comments from the NBC from their website about this, and <laughs> it's like. I'm glad to, to see there's a major media outlet actually starting to report this seriously now. I mean, that's all well and good. Uh, that's someone's heartfelt belief. But there's a lot more serious stuff out there than the Border Patrol doing things with hang gliders. Mm-hmm. And what blows me away is the things that we have, the public has available to us now. Some of the videos that both you and I have both seen and other people in the community have seen and made. And they're pulling this out of their hat. My, my belief just keeps getting more entrenched in 
the the public is the one to move the football forward, not the government entities anymore. They've had the they've had the opportunity to do this for eighty years, and they haven't done it. They're not going to do it. <laughs> so, if we don't push for it, it's just not going to happen. I hear you. <clears throat> I hear you. You. You've got people in your own audience, Dave, and you know this as well as I do, that have fantastic footage of lots of different things, not just UFO, UAP, cryptids, um, things in, in the paranormal world, if, if you believe in such things, ghosts, spirits, that type of phenomena. It, and... This is our community, our spaced out radio community, the people that we know. And it, in, in our community, it, if we have that, then who knows what other people have? But it, it would be the public, not, not the government. And this whole NASA thing, if you would just go in and read the executive summary, it, it'll... You don't know whether to giggle about it or be upset or, or just flat out cry about it. We'll talk about the NASA what thing when we get back. You know, what angers me about it is I was one of those kids that sat in front of my TV when I was five glued to it, watching them land on the moon. I'll be right back. Little Terry Hall, everybody. <clears throat> I'm debating whether to go get firewood tomorrow. You know what? From the farmer's almanacs that I follow, I would say that it would probably be a smart thing to do. Yeah. Because we're supposed to have, according to the book, we're supposed to have a wet winter. For us, we're supposed to get a lot of snow. A lot of snow. Not supposed to be as cold, uh, but a lot of snow. Uh, Neil is asking, Dave, do you believe the moon landings? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Guys, I have got an entire spaced out radio wall here. Nice. Very nice. Well, when we do movie nights here at the house, we we know we got one of those little projector deals. But yeah, I I can make Dave life size in my living room. (laughs) That's scary. Uh, Brown dwarf. How many cords do I have right now? I'm sitting at about uh, three and a quarter cords. So I just need one load in my trailer, but I, I got to, uh, I want to go get some for a buddy of mine too. Uh, he just moved up here and, uh, and, uh, he doesn't have a chainsaw or anything like that. And he's running out of wood for his fire pit. So I'm going to go surprise him with some wood tomorrow. My neighbor just uh, moved to Texas and he was a, he owned a, actually had a barbecue, uh, restaurant, right? A mm-hmm. barbecue joint. 
And when he left, he left me three and a half cords of oak. Nice. And it's all split. Everything's, all I had to do was stack it. It was sweet, man. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, let's see. Nice pointy sticks, Joe. Very nice pointy sticks. Uh, Lord William, no, I have not seen a white Yeti. Um, the Sasquatch I seen were dark brown, uh, reddish brown, and one was a sh very dark. Here we go. Here we go with the final half hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives by go to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go. Terry Hall is filling in for little Timmy Senor tonight on the UFO Report. Tim's come down with a cold, so he is out for the night, but he'll be back. Trust me, he will be back, people. Terry. That's stronger than ever. Terry, you wanted to talk about NASA here because you haven't had a chance to really speak on it. And, and you know, it's been almost a week here since the reports came out and everybody felt it was just a, a big joke. What's your thoughts on everything after having uh, some analysis over it? After I got the setback and and read through the paperwork and kind of give it in a, a second and third read uh, and really look into some of the, some of the professors, some of the people. So I just got the state farm personal price plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog. What? No, I didn't get that personal. My agent just helped me create an affordable price just for me. Okay. Let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster. <laughs> Contact local agent E.G. Warren Jr. in Gulfport today. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Verbo Vacation Homes come with 24-7 live support. So if you ever need anything, you can reach a real person in about a minute. Hey, how can I help? Verbo. Private vacation rentals for you and your people. We were there as the presenters. Um, you had everybody, I mean, they had a, a good mix. They had people from the universities of, uh, California, San Diego. They had uh, George Mason university. They had, um, I mean, they had science journalists there. They had people from the FAA there. They had a, a, a retired astronaut there. Um, but when you go through and read the report, they, every statement they make, they cancel out. We need to gather evidence, but we don't have any baseline. We're uniquely qualified to do this, but we've never seen one. And, and it's just that over and over and over again. And it's the same kind of thing that we've been seeing from Arrow and from 
pretty much anything else. NASA hasn't given us a UFO czar. As a matter of fact, they flat out refused to say who they were going to make the, the head of all this because they said a backlash. So even in that aspect, there it's it's a statement and a cancellation and a statement and a cancellation. And it's 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 just as frustrating as what any other entity in the government has put forward up to this point. Tim Burchett and his crew are beating their heads against the proverbial wall. And Dave, I know that you've never really been a fan of Never a Straight Answer. What's your thoughts on it? Well, I have talked to a lot of colleagues about this since the report has come out because it has been a hot button subject behind the scenes uh, of people. Just we're we're all trying to figure out: Did we actually hear what we heard? Okay, of of NASA's denial and. In a series of tweets, if you noticed on on X, that Bill Nelson, the head of of NASA, has been tweeting a lot lately and posting a lot on Twitter, almost like he uh, he thinks he's done something right, and that he's got to be out there in the public realm, you know, uh, talking about UAP crap, okay. And I started hitting him up, and so did others, regarding, why didn't you talk about what was in your closet? You talked about everything but what NASA knows, or had known, or should know about this subject. Why are you so afraid to get to the real topic of everything? And of course, I don't expect him to respond, because people like Bill Nelson are just like rock stars and movie stars where they have their notifications turned off. So therefore, they're not going to respond when you get 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 replies to a tweet, unless you're somebody like Elon Musk who is addicted to his own platform and, and is out there, you know, the odd time will respond to replies to people. So... The fact that he didn't respond was not surprising, but the public needs to keep the pressure up. And this is what where we're hearing from a lot of people is if you're upset about Bill Nelson and you're ready to call his bluff, you have to be able to call out NASA where when you can. Politely, of course. You know, I mean, they're not dummies there. We have to remember they're not dummies. They are in the midst of playing a game with the public regarding this subject. Some of them probably don't want to play the game. Terry. You, I think you, you, you said a lot right there. It, the, the game. Um, I, I don't ever take anything away from, from what Tom DeLong and Elizondo and their group did to, to move the football forward. I think it was part of the game to try to make Uncle Sam not the not the villain in the story that's always kept this hidden and lied and manipulated and even undeaded some people over it, uh, according to the stories that we've all heard. Um, but I, I think that Tom DeLong dropped dropped the football right 
they gave him the opportunity, hey, make us the hero. Make us the guys who were protecting rather than being the villains who were hiding. Um, was it another stab with NASA? Are they the ones? Because they've been our heroes. Our, we, we all look up, you know, astronauts in my day were freaking rock stars, man. They, they were, everybody looked up to them. Uh, anything they did, they did. They gave them ticker tape parades in New York when those guys came home. Man, is it NASA? Are are they the ones to to take the villain stigma away from NASA now? Is that what this is? Um, who knows? Well, I mean the fa- the fact that NASA wants to play the role of innocent dummy regarding this is still quite unfathomable to me. Why would you do this? And that's what, once again, doesn't make sense to me. Two plus two usually equals four. When it comes to UFOs, what we are seeing is we are seeing two plus two equaling 76. Two plus two has never equaled four in, the, in in any ledger book anywhere in the black budget programs in the Pentagon. And NASA and Arrow tied themselves together with that with that with that whole deal. Enigma Labs. Uh, uh, all the, the the framework of recommendations through the whole one of the framework of recommendations at the meeting there was. Um, that Arrow and NASA play an essential part with one another. So now it is the government with their feet in the NASA too. Everything that everything that's been coming out about this, the Pentagon has had their feet into. And if you recall right, there was one 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 of the meetings that. Uh, one of the people from NASA was going to attend, and then all of a sudden he wasn't going to attend. Do you, do you recall which one that was, Dave? I, I honestly do not. Well, but what it boiled down to was somebody at the Pentagon cared enough to follow that man's itinerary and told him, uh-uh, you're not going to that one. It's There's too much meddling going on here. In every, everybody that's coming forward, whether it's Enigma Labs or whoever it is, the government is is putting their spider webs, their tendrils out. They're 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 throwing their hooks out, and they're not coming back unbaited or uncaught. Every time they throw a hook out, it's sinking into something, and it's sunk into NASA. So, are we going to do the whole thing again to where you sure you can go ahead and call in a report on this stuff? But we're not going to share any of the information with you. Is it going to be one of those things again? But that's the way it's been, and that's the way that they're playing it. And <laughs> and, and this is why, you know, I think we have done a good job, and our audience, whether it's on radio or in our YouTube channel, has done a great job at paying attention to the fact that they are getting the wool pulled over their eyes by this unique group that is supposed to be there for the better part of humanity and a better part 
of of uh, space exploration. And we just don't see it happening at all. We really don't. And how do we combat that? The only way we can combat that <clears throat> is by calling their bluff. That's it. That's it. Back back, back in the day, Dave, there was a, a movie, um, and it, it's kind of a cult classic now, called The Warriors. And it was about this, this um, group of gentlemen who belonged to a particular group, uh, got pointed out, and they got chased across New York. But prior to that, there was a bunch of individual gentlemen's groups and ladies' groups all gathered together in a park with one gentleman on a bandstand talking down to all of them and saying, if we all just come together, we could run all of it. Mm -hmm. Now, we've always said in the UFO community that we wanted scientists and reporters and the government to take this seriously. We've gotten to the point now to where at least some of our journalists are taking this seriously. There are certain segments in our own government that's starting to take it seriously as well as around the world. But we still got the that's not the scientist that I want or that what that one said is lame as a duck because I think this instead of just coming together for once and trying to push it forward. I mean, we've become so desensitized to this that I think right now, if you would run a poll question of were you would you be surprised if an alien landed on the White House front lawn tomorrow? I don't think it would be, I don't think people would fall out of their chair. I mean, honestly, after what David Grush said, that was, that should have moved the needle if it turns out to be true. And even, even if not, it was in front of Congress and there was consequences behind that. That should have, that, that should have been War of the Worlds radio people running out of their homes and looking up kind of thing, but it wasn't. No, you're right. What is, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Well, from what's it going to take with NASA, so we've got about seven and a half minutes left, have you heard any of the latest news regarding Jaime Mossan's last stand? I have, and there's a couple different sides to that because the story's been developing. And allegedly, the the Nazca mummies uh, allegedly have not been manipulated. They're they're a true skeleton. But one thing that I caught, and I don't know if anyone else really caught this or not, um, in ancient Japanese lore, they had these little figurines called the dogu. And the dogu look remarkably similar to that Nazca mummy. It, facially, mm -hmm. they do. Um, so that's another kind of 
leads a little bit of credence to it that why would someone way over here on the planet have something that looks remarkably similar once again to someone on this side of the planet across a, a whole bunch of water that nobody was supposed to be able to sail across or go across or uh, you know float a hundred thousand ton stone across much less you know <clears throat> so but Jaime Masson went on, I can't remember which program it was on, and he and the anchor person of of that program were really going back and forth across it, but it really wasn't so much about the validity of it, but whether it had been um, taken out of, out of a, antiquities had been stolen. Uh, it, it, I believe that the, the meltdown between the two of those was over um, it being an antiquity and it was no longer in the possession of the country it originated from. Well, we know those bodies were stole by grave robbers. Yes. And, Absolutely. And we know that anything to do with the history of Nazca is property of the government of Peru. Because they're trying to save the history. Yeah, and believe it or not, it is sickening to think that there are, you know, in Peru, in Egypt, you know, still grave robbers out there. But but for some of them, that's their income. That's But it's not just that. These mummies, we've known about these and others similar to these or that tie in with these for several years now. So... Why, when they were brought forth as evidence, did the question of it being a stolen antiquity be the centerpiece of the subject? Rather than being the centerpiece of the subject as this is a possible non-human being that we have here. Mm -hmm. I'm just still surprised, as are many others, that Jaime Mosan is at his age and his stature in Mexico is still trying to hold his reputation on this entire, you know, staged phenomena. Well, there's another gentleman that when they, when they did the, uh, when they presented themselves in front of Congress, his name is Antonio Huenas. And Antonio has been in this for many, many, many years. He's a, a you could say, a UFO OG. Um, started out in Peru. I know Antonio. He's a wonderful guy. But we discussed the Nazca mummies between the two of us. And Antonio, with as much as experience as much experience as he has in this field, was convinced that they were real. Um, so. Like I said, why why make the subject? Because now, even in the New York Post, they've got where the they they've actually studied these things now, and done the X rays and the CAT scans and the MRIs, and I don't I don't believe they've done any DNA or anything like that. But as far as imaging goes, it, they're pretty convincing. It, at least to me, they are. That's that's my own personal opinion. They're pretty convincing, and the doctors, the testimony they're getting from the doctors, are letting 
lending credence to where they're they're not something that was made in someone's garage. Uh, this, oh, this I don't think it's paper mache. I don't think it's yeah. paper mache. The problem that I have is we're we're relying when when they tried to early on when those bodies were discovered years ago, they were trying they brought in top notch scientists from American and Mexican universities to test the DNA on these, and the DNA came back as human. Okay, as well as other animal parts in it, like they were created. They look very real. Don't get me wrong. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Mosan, within days of having this fall flat on his face, within days, he's got major scientists allegedly working on the DNA and everything regarding the reality of these mummies being alien. That takes longer than a day. That, was it, was it him or was it, um, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm unfamiliar with Mexican, um, politics, but we, we'll just say their parliament was, was it, was it Jaime and son that pushed it forward or the, or the, no, the, the pi- Mexican Congress. We learned, we learned that the Mexican Congress had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. This was a publicity stunt. <clears throat> Another thing to, to muddy the water. You know, Jaime Masson has been a character for, for years. Uh, I've You've met him. I've met him. Uh, he's a fairly standoffish individual anymore as he's grown older. Um but with any of the the more recognizable names in this field, uh, like your say uh, a friend of the show, Ross Colehart, uh, well, he's had his controversial moments. Jaime Masson, you know, he's had his controversial moments. Antonio Rojas, any of the guys that are recognizable that are always the faces that you see on TV. They can always throw them under the bus anytime they want because there's controversy in their background. Mm-hmm. And I get that. We only got 15 seconds. Hyman Masson, knowing that shouldn't have pulled this stunt. He shouldn't have done this. I agree. We're going to leave it there, Terry Hall. Thank you so much for filling in for little Timmy Senor on the UFO report tonight. Very much appreciate it. And we say a big thank you to Dr. Angela Smith coming in to talk about both remote viewing and alien species that are visiting our planet right now. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up. For the guitar god himself, special thanks to everybody listening in at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, LinkedIn, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. 
Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, Terry, what do we do? We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Woo train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we got room for them, too. Good night. Bed Bath & Beyond is back with more to choose from than ever before. At the new Bed Bath & Beyond, you'll find all the products and brands you love, along with a huge new selection of furniture, decor, and everything else you need to create the home of your dreams. All in one amazing online store. Download our new app and save even more with exclusive deals and offers. Plus, get free shipping right to your front door. Welcome to a bigger, better beyond. Bed Bath & Beyond is back with more to choose from than ever before. At the new Bed Bath & Beyond, you'll find all the products and brands you love, along with a huge new selection of furniture, decor, and everything else you need to create the home of your dreams. All in one amazing online store. Download our new app and save even more with exclusive deals and offers. Plus, get free shipping right to your front door. Welcome to a bigger, better beyond.